This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back everyone. Thanks for listening. President Ronald Reagan is the godfather of the Republican Party. I think he would be astounded at the behavior of the current Republican leadership when it comes to food security in America. The current policy of deny, define, delete runs contrary to Reagan's mantra and George H.W. Bush's compassionate conservative movement. The current USDA policy regarding the food insecure people in America is disappointing. By lowering the threshold of poverty, the administration is working against the intent of the bipartisan farm bills passed and signed in 2019. Additionally, this ruling redefines by 2% who is considered poor in America, making it harder for families in need to receive any help from their government. I agree that a redefining of the poverty measure is drastically needed, but this ruling is heading in the exact opposite direction it should. A courageous leader would in fact look at the data regarding what it takes to be self-sufficient and then develop policies that incentivize work instead of policies that detour it. Finally, evaluating the economy on one criteria leads us to false conclusions. Looking through the lens of unemployment only is like looking at the world with rose-colored glasses. Everything is pretty. I'm happy for the good economy, and let's not pretend it is working for everyone. Let's not deny the reality that the vast majority of people who can work are working. Let's not rewrite the definition of what it means to be poor in America and think that that simply deletes people from being in need. For those who doubt how far we've strayed from President Reagan's philosophy, I offer two quotes. Yes, President Reagan famously said, I believe the best social program is a job. And for the record, so do we. But he also said, if there is one person in this country hungry, that is one too many, and we're going to do what we can to alleviate that situation, end quote. We could start by redrafting the policies that govern work supports like food, housing, and child care and have them stretch across the wage scale until families reach self-sufficiency. I repeat, if there is one person in this country hungry, then that is one too many. Jerry Passan joins me here in the studio in just a moment. Jerry Passan, welcome to the show today. Sitting there, lovely as ever, in your WJR microphone. Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's always good to be here, and you know, really wonderful to to listen to the passion from your monologue today. I mean, uh, you know, there's a time when you just have to say enough is enough, and we got to be honest about what we're dealing with, and we've got to 
you know, be sober about what the answers are going to be. And pretending that there's fewer people in need because of one measure, which is unemployment or employment, depending on which way you want to look at it, is it is pretending. And we know it's pretending. We, we've had the self-sufficiency standard now for two years. We just refreshed it. And it tells us important information about what people are really going through. That information is then backed up by our experience across Michigan, which is showing the majority now of people who are coming for help have at least one employed person in their household. Right. right. When we when we started doing this work, I want to say five years ago of really measuring how many people coming to ask for food are employed. It was 47 percent. Right. And I'm quite certain that it's now the majority of people asking for help are actually employed. Now, when you look at that, you say, well, I mean, you know, what kind of employment is that? And that is exactly the right question. Right. When I started in this work and it's been well over 30 years now that I've been in the work of, pro- of providing basic needs and really looking carefully at the safety net. If you were employed, you were food secure. Right. It was just the way it worked. And so a lot of the efforts back then were aimed at making sure people could be employed. Well, it's a different world today. There's a lot of jobs that don't pay a living wage. Right. So when President Reagan said that famous quote, I believe the best social program is a job, he couldn't have been more right because if you, according to what you just said, if you had a job, you didn't worry, you didn't live under the toxic stress of being food insecure. That is, what am I going to eat? What am I going to give my kids? And I'm sure there were some people still slipping through the cracks then, right? Sure. I mean, you know, our understanding of this work continues to evolve and and we continue to get better at understanding what impact we're having at the household level. We're distributing healthier food than ever. We're distributing fresher food than ever. We are in touch with our consumers and making sure that we're getting them the food they want and need for their situations. I mean, just the issue of convenience is another small thing to say, you know, there's a lot, if you're a working parent, you need meals that are convenient because you just don't have the kind of time to do anything too complicated, right? And so that's all part of our life and part of the ways that we've had to adapt. And so, I mean, you know, there were well, probably some things happening 30 years ago we weren't aware of that we are today. So I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's all, you know, all change. We don't really know all the things that have changed, but one thing we know for sure is there are a lot more working families needing help. Well, when when President Reagan said that famous quote <laughs> that, you know, the best social program is a job, um, that was true. But then he came back later and said, if there's one person who's hungry in America, that's one person too many. So that was a reaction to one of his cabinet members who said, who, who, talking about how things have changed, who held the disbelief that there was a hunger problem in America, Edwin Meese. He didn't believe that anyone was hungry in America. And so when the data started to finally come, then President Reagan said, whoa, wait a minute, if there's one, that's one too many. So, I, you know, that's to talk about how things began to change 30, 40, 50 years ago is that we became aware And once we became aware, then we began to mobilize ourselves. And food banks haven't stopped mobilizing because they haven't stopped learning. They've been adapting all these years to the need that's within the community. So I want to get you started on on an issue of learning that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that's the poverty measure. 
Right. It was something that was developed many, many years ago. It it assumed that food was one third of a household budget, as well as a few other assumptions uh, that that really developed and created what we call the poverty measure for today. And that thing is way out of date and not looking at nearly enough things. And I know, Doctor, this is one of your passions. I want you to say just a couple things about why. So it doesn't matter how many times you measure if you're if the inch if, if what you're using to measure with is wrong. Right. So you right. can measure. You say measure measure twice, cut once. You're going to cut wrong every time because your tape measure is inaccurate. That's the federal poverty measure. Every time we measure whether someone needs help or doesn't need help, we're measuring wrong. And until we update something, I mean, my gosh, how, 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 what, I cannot even believe I'm having to say this in the United States of America that we're using an instrument of measurement that is 50 years old. Come on. I mean, just stop. That's it's ridiculous. And to make such bold assumptions, when we did the self-sufficiency standard, which has now been done in well over half of the states in the country. Yes. You know, and 39, re- I think. 39 states. So, And the reason why it's been done is because there's an awareness on the part of people who actually provide services that we have to understand more and better. We looked at 719 household types across 83 counties to try to determine what does it actually take to live? What does it mm-hmm. actually take to just subsist, right? right? And it is so radically different from the poverty measure in part because it's just a lot smarter. It's a lot more comprehensive. It looks at reality based on what reality is, not what we hope it would be. And I know that's another saying that you like a lot, Doctor. You have to accept people where they are, not where you wish they were. That's exactly right. And that's what we have to do. So it'll take a lot of courage. Courage from us and courage from our elected leaders to look at the data surrounding the federal poverty measure and make the necessary changes. I'm encouraged that one day we're going to get there. Well, let's get there. I'm ready. Let's get there. Well, let's get to the next segment before we get there. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we're back to continue this discussion in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. All right, we're back here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with you. Jerry, uh, kind of a Jerry and Phil show today, and we're talking about, you know, really, in essence, uh, we want everybody, regardless of who in the community, we're not just thinking about political parties. We're talking we're talking about everyone in the community really has a responsibility to help create food security for their hungry neighbors and also we welcome everyone to the table. Well, one of the things uh, that we use as a mantra is, you know, if you don't if you haven't solved the problem, you're going to need new ideas. Right? And those new ideas can't come from the same 10 people you always talk to. You have to broaden the pool of thought and you have to listen to what people's concerns are because they're 
participating in the world and in the economy and in life in ways that you just simply aren't. And so you can't have all of the insights you need to solve a problem like this if you don't open the doors to these ideas. And ideas have to come from a lot of different places. But along with those ideas, you also have to have data. You have to have facts. And, and you know, we hear a lot about fake news. And if we define fake news as reporting something not factual as if it were factual— Right. Right. It, we, we can't be doing that in our work. We can't be reporting something not factual as if it were factual. And that means along with the ideas that we're hearing and bringing everybody to the table to hear their ideas, we then have to sift through that with the lens of data. And those two things combined are going to create exciting partnerships to do things we've never done, both more and better. So, you know, we live in a, this is an election year, and so we have two major parties. And traditionally, I think that we would say that folks on the left have been, have rallied to this cause of, of uh, poverty and, and food insecurity and all that goes with that uh, readily. And then I think that the, the, the misnomer is that the folks maybe on the more conservative right, they, they have not rallied to the point. What we're saying in the monologue and then in this show is everybody has a seat at this table and everybody has a responsibility to be at the table. And there are certainly many points of agreement. There are certainly many points of agreement that bring us together around what should we be doing when we think about the safety net and how should it really work for people. So, you know, you have to start with those points of agreement and build from there. And when we focus on those areas where we simply disagree, well, it just turns into shouting matches that aren't very productive. Yeah, and I don't really want to be a part of that conversation. I want to be a part of the conversation that looks at the, that uses the what I call the, 101 percent principle i'm going to find the one percent that i can agree about and i'm going to give it a hundred percent of my attention and i think there are at least three things and i think you think the same thing there are at least three themes where we could talk to folks on the left or the right or in the middle or or anywhere in this country and we could we could find agreement and so the first one I want to bring up to you, you mentioned it just a few minutes ago, which is the self-sufficiency. I think we would share the belief that everybody wants to be self-sufficient. The people that we serve, I don't think they want, help, want to be in a place where they need help from their government or need help from those of us who are in the community serving. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. I You know, the, the other way that I look at that is to say, you know, People, you know, live on a continuum, right, where some people have figured out almost their whole life by themselves without any help. Right. And other people, you know, they, they have a lot deeper issues and deeper struggles. It makes them a lot harder to figure out their life. And without help, maybe they never will. And then there's everybody in between there that a little bit of help now and then gets them where they go. Now, most of us have had mentors in our life, people who've come alongside us and helped us and given us good advice or point us in a direction that's made our life better. There is almost nobody who has received no help in their life. Right. And so the question is, how do we harness this desire 
to want to be able to do most everything by ourselves, to get up in the morning and say, this is my plan, I'm going to work my plan, and from that, I'm going to have success. How do we harness that natural desire from, from most everybody, and it really is almost everybody we work with that has some of that desire. How do sure. we harness that in the best possible way to empower them to do what they know they need to do? Well, and I think that for my friends on the right, that self-sufficiency is a is a goal that you can buy into for we want everyone to be self-sufficient and not need charity or the government and so what we've done at the food bank council is publish as if you're a regular listener to this show you hear us refer to often which is the self-sufficiency standard now you can find that at fbcmish.org slash self-sufficiency standard so that's F-B-C-M-I-C-H dot org. Yes. And if you just get there, you'll find the links to the self-sufficiency standard. Right. It's it's on the website. It's hugely helpful. It's just been updated. And so uh, really good time to go take a look at what it actually costs for people to be self-sufficient in Michigan. And so as you said, 719 different household types across all 83 counties because we know the ages of children and the zip code will influence how much it costs to live where. And so you can find that at fbcmich.org slash self-sufficiency standard. So I think that's a theme, Jerry, that everybody, left, right, in the middle, any place on the political spectrum that you would want to be, we would all want everyone, including the people that we serve, they want for themselves to not need us or anyone else. And to build systems that meet people where they are. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, you're going to get so much farther if you involve and include the people that you're working with because they do have a plan and they want their plan to work now you know it might it might be the best plan it might not be the best plan but if you start with the idea that everybody wants a plan that works for them and you build off of that you're just going to get farther faster well i think that's a great segue to a second theme that we can agree about all of us everywhere in the sound of my voice we can agree about and that's the value of work So what President Reagan said 40-plus years ago isn't untrue. It's just not as accurate as it used to be, as for reasons that you explained earlier in the show. Well, and this is something that we just have to come to grips with. Um, we're, We're not incentivizing people to stay at the jobs they can get. And part of that has to do with wages, but part of it has to do with work supports and other ways that we can collectively use to make every job worth having. And right now, for some jobs, the number of hours that have to be worked in a week just to meet self-sufficiency standards that we know of because of the study, it comes to over 80 hours a week. Yeah, well, if you live in Washtenaw County, it'd be more like 124 hours. And I'll remind everybody that there's only 168 in the work in the week. So you don't get much sleep in that <laughs> case, and you don't get to care for your children and other things that we want parents to do. So, you know, how do we make that job that that person has and has gotten, how do we make that a job that works for them? And this is where this whole idea of work supports comes in. How do we make sure that once a person has said, I'm willing to do dishes, I'm willing to do dishes in a restaurant. That's fine. I don't mind that work. But 
that that job doesn't pay a whole lot. It certainly doesn't pay a living wage for an individual, let alone a person that might have a couple kids. And yet, every time you go out to eat, you want a reasonable price meal and you want clean dishes. I know. The clean dishes are not optional. Right. right? And so, you know, we have to find a way to make every job desirable. Well, the only way to do that is by having the right work supports. Well, the work supports that 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 are are defined as food assistance, housing, and child care. So right now, by the time someone makes $13.50 an hour, they've lost all those benefits. They're ineligible for them according to the federal poverty measure that we use to measure wrong and cut wrong. Right. To determine who's eligible for benefits, right? So if if we change that policy to incentivize work, and to reward people for their industry, where food assistance, child care, and housing stretched across the wage scale until we they reached self-sufficiency and they could pay for these things themselves, now we've helped people accumulate wealth without punishing them for their work. And that's what, you know, it simply said, Jerry, if work support supported work, our jobs would be a lot easier. They would be. They would be. And we got to figure out the best way to do it. And there are many options and levers that we can use to make that a reality. Well, the fact is, requiring work, anybody can do. Incentivizing will take leadership. I agree. We're back in just a moment to continue this discussion. Hope that you'll come back and be with us, too. First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We really do appreciate you listening. So thanks for listening, everyone. And for those of you who stick with us and you're a part of the show and you're a part of the podcast, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Jerry, don't, I mean, it just makes this fun to have these some sometimes very difficult conversations, but it's nice to know when people come up to us and they're saying, hey, I heard you on the radio or I listened to your podcast. It means a lot. It does mean a lot. And we do appreciate your advocacy on behalf of this really important issue of Food First in Michigan. We we are certain and and we have evidence that when we make food first, it changes people's lives, not just today, but for their entire life, that as people are empowered and their homes are stabilized and they're able to manage their medications and all of the other ways that food affects their life, it really matters in the long term. And you, our listeners, are on this walk with us, and we're really and truly grateful for that. So we don't want you to think that we're just going to bring up a problem and not offer a bit of a solution. So here's our solution to the federal poverty measure. The self-sufficiency standard, which has now been done in 39 states. So there's just a few more states to go. Everyone will have it. And while it's more complex than the federal poverty measure, it's also a truer measure. As Dr. Phil likes to say, it's a measuring tape that actually measures correctly Mm -hmm. what it actually takes to be self-sufficient. And if you combine the self-sufficiency standard with incentivizing work as a priority, Those two things together will give you tremendous insight into what you actually have to do so that the safety net actually works. Absolutely. And I think we'd find that we, you know, this is going to be a crazy concept, but I think we'd find we'd 
we'd save money. Our return on this investment would be far greater than even what it is today, which leads us to a third theme that I think that we can agree upon. And that is we have a current programs like the Federal Poverty Measure and SNAP and others. So what would be wrong with a evaluation, a thorough evaluation of existing programs to find out if our return on investment is really what we want it to be? And is it meeting the need of the people it's designed to help? Yeah, that's so important. And and we've talked about several programs on this show, and they're probably worth mentioning again. If you look at Summer Food Service, mm-hmm. the Summer Food Service program is intended to use the dollars set aside in the federal budget to help kids get food during the summer when there's no school. That's what it's there for. Right. And, and those dollars are available at the same rate as they are during the school year. So if you have 100 participants, 100% participation in that program during the school year, then in the summer, the goal would be to have the same percentage participation by that program, summer food service program. And yet, the best participation rates we have is 17%. The best. The best. So when you start looking at, well, why is that? <laughs> the, the answers become pretty clear pretty quickly that the way that we require that program to be administered isn't really what the kids and families need during the summer so they can get all the food that they should be having. And again, this is just a simple that the simplest level of evaluation would be 17% just isn't acceptable, right? And when you talk about issues like kids during the summer not remembering all the things they learned during the school year, don't you think that not being well-nourished during the summer could be part of the problem? Yeah, maybe. I mean, just logical, right? And so what you have there is federal legislation that really – there are um, restrictions embedded in that legislation that force it to be congregate eating. Now, I understand there's some work to loosen that a bit, but, you know, at the same time, um, folks or kids are having to make the journey to wherever this meet up and eat up event is happening. Could be under a tree at a park every day at 11 o'clock. And they're making that journey over there. Well, Maybe they got an apple in that in that distribution that day, but they don't want to eat that apple right then and there. They'd like to save it for a snack later in the afternoon. That's not allowable. Right. Right. Exactly right. So they got to throw that perfectly good apple away before they walk away from the meet up and eat up site. That's, come on. That's just stupid. <laughs> To say the least, I mean, it's, it's, and we know there's been tremendous efforts to encourage people to use the services of the Summer Food Service Program. And and I want to give the United Way an incredible shout-out for all they've done to try to do everything in their power to get more families to use that service. But the, the bottom line is, when it's not what households want and need, it's never going to work. Yeah. And at some point you have to say, look, preparing a meal, which is expensive, right? Prepared food is expensive. And, and giving families food to use is a lot cheaper. Right. So not only is the solution uh, better, but also cheaper and could drive the participation rates upward of 80%. And that is just give families the food to prepare meals for their kids during the summer. 
I mean, it's not a hard leap, and the vast majority of parents, if they had the food, would feed their kids with it. It's it, This isn't a huge mystery what a better program would be. It's very solvable, but we have to have the will to say, hey, what's happening now just isn't working. We need a better way. There have been some waivers, but we really need to turn this program on its head. Well, that, that program, and that program is administered like uh, other emergency food programs by the Michigan Department of Education. So Meet Up and Eat Up, uh, the Summer Feeding Program, uh, TFAP, the Emergency Food Assistance Program, and then the CSFP, which is Food Boxes for Seniors Program. All of those have to be evaluated and to see, are they meeting the need for the people they're designed to serve, and what's our return on investment, and can we do that better? And I mean, I would certainly say those, and there isn't a program that Gleaners does, and I'll just speak for ourselves here, that we don't apply the same principle. We apply that principle to every single thing we do. And the reason is because we're responsible to steward our donors' dollars. And we want to use those dollars in the best possible way because that's how we get people to give more. I mean, you know, it's it's not rocket science to say the better job you do, the more people want to support you. Well, our government programs should be thought of in the same way. They should be providing clear, compelling best practices that would make us all say, my gosh, isn't that wonderful how we do the best possible programming with every dollar we spend? Well, I think evaluating the need, are we meeting that need? Are we doing it in a unique and are we doing it in an inspiring way? And, you know, what's the return on investment for that? So, you know, I mean, I think that the Food Bank Council is standing ready to help with that evaluation for all of these programs because honestly, Jerry, The CEOs in our network and all of y'all's staffs have hundreds of years of experience in in the distribution of emergency food into the community. So I don't know who's better qualified to help impact and make these programs better than you guys. And that's why we're at the table. That's why we go to the Mackinac Policy Conference. That's why we go to the National um, Food Uh, conferences in in Washington, D.C. I mean, we go to these things because we want to make sure people hear the voice of the people that we're serving and really get a picture of what's really working, what do we need to think about changing, and how does that make things better for us all? Well, you know, so there are are all these programs that we're talking about, SNAP and all the rest of them, flow from the federal government to the state government, and then they get administered out. So I I know that there are state plans that have to be created for all of these programs. My point is, I, I don't think I've ever been invited to that meeting. I don't think I've ever been offered the opportunity to help build that plan that meets the need and ensures the highest term, return on investment. I'd be happy to be a part of that group. I think you would as well. Yeah, well, let's get there. I'm hope, well, you know, I'm, you know, my mother raised a polite son, and most of the time that's my brother. <laughs> So I don't normally invite myself, but I'm doing so today. Yeah, well, Doctor, I I love being at the table with you. I can't imagine who wouldn't. I can't either. So we're back to, for one more segment here. You come back and be with us because I really like this show. <laughs>
Last segment, we're back here, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, on our WJR studio. So thanks, everybody, for being with us for this last segment. Uh, Jerry, I started out in a monologue that was pretty pointed at our friends and supporters on the right side. And uh, in an upcoming show, we're going to do a little pointed uh, conversation with our friends on the left side of the political spectrum. But uh, we're, we're looking at themes that, whether you're on the right or the left, you could agree and sit down at this table and help us figure out how to create food security for our hungry neighbors and especially their kids. Well, I mean, and one of the themes I think that has to be front and center is there are two words that should never hmm. go together. And that's hunger and children. Right. Those are two words that should never go together. Never. There is no possible benefit to ever having a hungry child. And whether or not you want to judge parents of any stripe about, you know, what their responsibilities are, still and all, you are hurting everyone immeasurably by allowing a safety net that doesn't guarantee food security for every child. The cost and the long-term payment that you're going to make for allowing hungry children is overwhelming compared to the cost of simply having a safety net that works for kids. Right. You know, just thinking about that in terms of finances and economic impact is one thing. Thinking about that in terms of human potential is an entire, you know, it's like the MasterCard commercial. It's priceless. Yeah. And you when, can't put dollars and cents on that. You can't. You know, I remember the first time the, the president of Gleaners that hired me was named Augie Fernandez. And Augie was taking me on a tour and he said to me, Cherry, you know, the cure for cancer has already been put inside the mind of a child. Unfortunately, that child wasn't nourished well enough so that we still don't have that cure today. Right. You're talking about so many. I mean, literally, just in southeast Michigan, there's over 300,000 food insecure children. That's just in the five counties that Gleaner served. Over 300,000. Now, you think about the long-term impact of not nourishing those children to their potential, and it's astronomically costly. So let's talk about who wins when we win in that context. There's a tremendous amount of conversation going on in the state and has been for years about workforce, workforce retention, as well as workforce competence and capacity. And these higher tech jobs that are coming, that are here, that we can't fill right now. So you think about the long-term impact on workforce when it's contrasted to such a small investment to make sure that kids have access to healthy, nutritious food. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not ready to play the blame game there. I just want to help the kid well, because nobody asks to be born into any specific family. It just happens, right? So the kids are innocent here, and you got to help them where, the, where they're at, not where we wish they were. Well, and the, the answer is something we have, right? There is enough food. There is enough food. The food is readily available and inexpensive, and we know how to get it to the families. We're involved right now in hundreds of schools. And and speaking for all the food banks in the state of Michigan, I am talking about hundreds of schools across the whole state that are working with us to provide school 
uh, food mobiles where we're giving supplemental food to families. And it works. We know that families that get these school mobiles are significantly less likely to have to make trade-offs every month between their utilities and their rent and and buying food for their families. As we reduce these trade-offs for these households, they stabilize. The kids stay in the same school longer. They develop better relationships with their teachers and classmates, and they're more successful. And we know this is true. So we have the problem. We have the answer. We just need the will to get it paid for and do it. You know, Jerry, I'm going to just brag on the show for just a minute. And that, you know, I should brag on the award-winning <laughs> there you go. Michigan. While you're bragging. While I'm bragging. So one thing I'm proud of is my humility. So <laughs> anyway, that's a topic for another show. So I'm not sure you're going to listen to a show about this topic anywhere else. And I don't think you're going to particularly listen to someone who's going to highlight, as our producer says, the elephant in the room, but then also stay around to have a discussion about the solution. So I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing here, and I think it's significant. And I hope that our listeners do too, and I hope that we're increasing not only their perspective, but also the personal will that it'll take to solve this problem. And to have a safety net that works the way it's supposed to work. Absolutely. I guess it's time for a little food for thought. I'll go back to my quote from President Reagan. If there is one person in this country hungry, that is one too many. And if we're going to do anything to alleviate this situation, then it has to be food first, Michigan. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.